folks, we're delighted to welcome in a special guest this week on the Irish NFL Show, a guy that served as the NFL's Vice President of Officiating from 2013-2017, Head of Officiating for the XFL in 2020, now currently the Rules Analyst for Fox Sports. You see him on your TVs every weekend, and this weekend will be no, will be no exception. Dean Baldino. Dean, it's, it's an honour to have you on the Irish NFL Show. Welcome. Thanks for having me. It's an honour. It's an honour to be here. It's a busy time, Dean, but we ask everybody this. Uh, have you ever been to Ireland before? Or have you ever uh, maybe got over to like a London game or anything? Or? That, that's a great question. I was thinking about it. Um, I've never been to Ireland, but I've been to the London game. I've been to, the, um, to England several times for that game. And that's always been a great experience. I've been to Scotland. So Ireland is next on my list. Well, you're you'd very welcome over uh, any time, Dean. And um, Michael, I kind of alluded to it there at the beginning. You had a, a stellar career in the league. You rose from an intern um, all the way to the top of officiating. You were involved in a couple of Super Bowls. Sarah Thomas came in on, under your watch, like loads of achievements. But in Ireland, we're a nation of storytellers. We love stories. And I suppose just interested, like from, from your time in the league, are there particular things that, that stand out that you're proud of that, that you remember? Any stories that you have? Oh, there's so many stories. I, I just think in general about my journey through officiating, I'm obviously proud of the things that I accomplished, but there were so many great people that helped me along the way. Um, the, the one story that I love to tell that, that stands out for me um, is the, the Super Bowl in 2007. It was the Patriots and the Giants. Remember, the Patriots were, were 16 and 0 in the regular season, and they were trying to become, um, you know, the first team to be 19 and 0, and and then probably would have went down as the greatest team of all time. And uh, the Giants beat them and that upset them in that game. But it was the David Tyree helmet catch, and which is such an iconic play in NFL history. And I was in the replay booth for that game. And the play happens, and obviously it's a close play. And did the ball hit the ground? Did he have control? And we're reviewing it. Now, when I'm at the Super Bowl or any NFL game, everyone knows, hey, I'm working. Don't call me. I have my phone there on silent. And, uh, and, I, and I happen to look down, and I see my, my mother is calling me in the middle of the play. And I don't pick up, and she knows I'm at the Super Bowl. And the play, we make the decision. It was a catch. The game's going on. And then I see, again, my mom is calling. So now I think it's, it's, a, it's an emergency. And so I'm going, oh no, what happened? I pick up the phone real quick. quick. I'm like, mom, what, what's going on? She goes, did you see that catch? And I'm like, okay, mom, I gotta, I've got to go back to work and we're going to finish this game. And then I'll talk to you about that catch and anything else you want to talk about during the game. So um, there, there's so many moments like that, that you know you, you just feel blessed to be a part of uh, you know, the NFL and the history and, and the great game and, and great organization that it is. You know, I'm a Giants fan, the Marks of Patriots fan, so that's that's a really fantastic story. It's great to hear, great to discuss that game again. Dean, uh, you're kind of, to me, like a, the Scott Hansen of, of NFL Fox, in a sense, because you're watching all these games on a Sunday like Scott Hansen would be on Red Zone, mm -hmm. but obviously you have a different reason for, for doing it. How do you manage your day? And in, in, I suppose in particular, when there's a situation in one game where you're called in to kind of give your opinion on the Fox, knowing that a couple of minutes later, you could potentially be on the next game. Is there people in your ear alerting to situations within games? Yeah, there is. And it was a learning curve for me because you, you have multiple games going on that you're responsible for, not just one game 
um, especially, you know, Sunday, the early window, there's, there's a lot of games happening. So you have, I've got an earpiece and I've got several people in my ear and I can also talk to several people. So I've got, I've got a producer with me in the studio who I can communicate with. And then I can communicate with any of the producers at the game, whether it's in Seattle in the TV truck or in Philadelphia or in Dallas. So I can communicate with that producer. And so there'll, there'll be a play going on in the, in the 49er game and it's close and it's challenged and I'm looking at it. I've got a monitor in front of me. I have someone that helps me um, go through the angles, identify the best look. And then I kind of start to form my opinion. And then the producer's like, okay, Dean, we're going to come to you. Um, they open me up, my mic, I turn, I look at a camera like I am right now. And then the, uh, the on-air talent, the play-by-play, -play, the, the, the analyst um, welcome me in. And then I give my, my, my opinion, I break it down. And then I move on to the next game. And so it's, it's quick. It happens, uh, you know, you, you've got with TV, what I've learned is you don't have um, 30 seconds, 45 seconds to give your opinion. It's five to seconds, 10 seconds. You've got to be quick, concise, to the point, and then move on. So it's, it's a lot of fun and being able to, to, to monitor different games and be a part of the broadcast. It's just, uh, it's, it's, if you like football, it's, it's one, of the, one of the better jobs you could find. And, and Dean, in terms of better jobs, I mean, you really have been, we use the expression, poacher turned gamekeeper at times. You've been on both sides. You've been obviously with the league office being the uh, controller very much in terms of directing on the officiating. And then obviously in the media. And to us, it's always fascinating. Of course, we understand the logic behind why some plays are not reviewable. There's subjective game calls. You don't want to remove the human element. But some are inherently objective criteria. There is a right and a wrong answer. And inherently, you know, sometimes not you and the other analysts won't necessarily agree with what the NFL or the referees on the field decide. And we had a classic example this super wildcard weekend. And I know we don't want to dwell on specific examples, but Jerome Boger's crew at the Bengals Raiders game, the inadvertent whistle um, situation, which has obviously been focused on a lot. I mean, how do you, you as an analyst and you in the media now, deal with calls like that or similar aspects where something seems amiss obviously um you know people are human as well yeah that that was always a, the biggest challenge when i was on the league side is that you see something you you can identify a mistake something that's not like you said amiss and then um you know you don't have the the, the avenue or the vehicle to 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 correct it and there like you said replay is it was meant to fix an obvious mistake and deal with objective findings, right? The ball hit the ground, the foot stepped out of bounds. And then you get into, there's so much that's subjective pass interference, offensive holding, where it's not just, uh, you know, was there contact? Was there contact that materially restricted the opponent's ability to make a play? So, so there's layers to that. And as you watch that play that happened in Cincinnati with the whistle, now you have an additional layer. Now we're trying to figure out, okay, the whistle blew. Did the players stop? It's, it's one of those where really it comes down to there's a rule in place for that. There's, there's an erroneous whistle rule. Um, when the whistle is blown erroneously during the play, there are, there are rules that apply. And, and I think in that situation, they kind of went away from the rule and they, and they more or less did what they felt was right, which is always a slippery slope. And, and you've got you've to stay within the, the, the parameters of the rule because if you just go outside that, then, 
then it's almost like you're making it up as you go along. But, but in my experience, and I was with the NFL for over 20 years, I've been with Fox now five seasons. Every year, there's something that comes up that I've never seen before. And you just can't prepare for everything because the game is, is, is going to throw something at you that you just, you just never, never anticipated. And that's, and that's great and it's fun, but sometimes it's, it's a little bit scary. Especially when it's live and you've got millions of people watching. I mean, around the world as well. You've got the 49ers, Packers and Fox this weekend. One thing, Dean, that really stands out for me is going into the playoffs. You know, the league doesn't really continue with the same crew members going into the playoffs. They, they usually maybe put that gel of best officials together. Do, do you think, looking on last weekend, do you think maybe they should maybe revisit that? Or do you think, give them the benefit of the doubt and just try and continue to bring that best, best mix of, of officials together just for the playoffs? Yeah, I think I, I, I see both sides of it. And I've, uh, you know, when I was at the league office, we did it a couple of different ways. I, I, I do think the, the, the continuity and having the crews that work together, there's a benefit to that. There's a comfort level. Um, you're communicating, you're working together all year. You don't have to, you don't have to, you know, kind of get used to someone. Um, and I think that that's important, but I also think, that you want your best officials to be in those games that matter the most. And if there is an official on a crew that just isn't cutting it, um, do you want that official on the biggest stage in the critical moment being the one to have to make that decision when they've shown that they haven't been able to do that all year? So I think that, that there's a hybrid where you can keep the crews intact, but when you do have an official um, that is not up to standard, then I think you have other officials, maybe their crew didn't grade out as well, but they're excellent officials and individually they did well and you can kind of plug them in. And most of these officials, crews don't stay the same from year to year. There, there is turnover, there is change. So a lot of these officials have worked together at some point in their career. Um, but, but again, I don't think that what happened um, in, in the two, really two games that had officiating controversy, I don't know if that was a direct result of not those crews not having worked together um, as a whole all year. I just think sometimes the games, um, it's a difficult job. It's really the game happens very quickly. Things like we said happen that you don't anticipate. And I'm not sure you can eliminate mistakes altogether and just try to mitigate them. Dean, it's um, five, around about 5,000 miles from Dublin to Dallas, but uh, Jerry Jones uh, makes waves all around the world. And we've got a lot of Cowboys fans who watch this show and uh, a lot of fans from other teams who, you know, like to, to rib on the, the Cowboys. Now, you put out a really interesting video uh, via Fox yesterday where you talked about that, that final play uh, that we all watched enthralled on, uh, on Sunday. Can you talk to us a little bit, like for viewers who maybe haven't seen it, but also just yeah. to get your, your perspective about, you know, that, that final uh, series from an official's perspective? Yeah, that, that is one of the, you know, one of those scenarios that officials, you have to prepare for. Um, and when you're talking about a hurry up, team is offense is out of timeout. So you know, as an official, that if this play ends in bounds and the clock is running, um, we have to be as efficient as possible in terms of spotting the ball, getting set, and being able to officiate the play. So uh, for the most part, the umpire who's in the offensive backfield and, and who typically starts around 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage, that, that official is going to be the one that spots the football in the hurry up. Now, you could have the back judge who's in the middle of the field 
Um, downfield, you could have the back judge spot the football on a really long game, maybe 25, 30 yards. But for the most part, it's going to be the umpire. So in that situation, look, Dallas running that play with 14 seconds on the clock and Dak sliding, I think there were probably around nine seconds on the clock. Everything has to be perfect for them to get the ball down, get set and get another snap. And obviously everything wasn't perfect. Um, from an officiating perspective, the umpire has to read, right? That Dak is going to run. Um, can't assume anything. You have to read, pass, or run. Once he sees run in that situation, they start to trail the play, move forward with the play, watch blocks, um, watch for holding anything else. And then once Dak slides, the umpire, like we saw, has to get to the football because the players can't spot the football. The officials have to. And unfortunately for Dallas, you know, the center ended up with the football, whereas teams practice this. And I know Dallas practice, practices this because every team does. It's just they didn't execute it. You've got to get the ball to the official. You've got to leave a lane for the official to get down and put the football. And that just didn't happen. And so we saw an umpire trying to get to the football and obviously bumping into players. And that ultimately, Cowboys, you know, they snapped it. And when they spiked the football time, it expired. So it's a it's a it's a very hectic situation, but officials practice it, teams practice it. But when you snap that ball with 14 seconds and you're going to run that play and the clock's going to be running at the end of the down, everything has to be perfect. And uh, like I said, it wasn't. Ian, you've already touched on, I suppose, the, the difficult job in which the officials have. Something that continuously comes up throughout the years is the fact that they're not full time. Um, during your time in the league, was that something that was discussed? And do you think there's a situation where that will come around again and potentially be the case that they will go with that down that road. Yeah, it's been discussed for a very long time. One of the, you know, and and who who just passed, right? John Madden, who was a legend in the in that, and I remember talking to Coach Madden, and that was one of the things, you know, talking about full-time officials and a lot of coaches feel that way and and players. And I think there's there's somewhat of a misconception about football officials um, in that they are full-time, no different than than whether it's soccer referees or, or basketball or baseball or whatever sport it is. Um, they, they work the games that they're assigned to. There's only one game a week. And, uh, but during the week, they're doing other things. They're, they're studying film. They have virtual sessions, right? Like this, they're on Zoom. They have conference calls. They get, they get communication from the league office. They're being evaluated. They see those evaluations. Uh, they're, they're scouting the teams that they're going to work in their upcoming games. So during the football season, football officials are, are putting in full-time hours and they, yeah, a lot of them do have other professions because again, it's, it's one week, one game a week. So they do other things, but they put in so much time and is there opportunities for them to do other things in the off season? I think there is, um, but you have to be mindful of, you know, you can't have football officials, NFL officials, working practices during the week because then and then they go work that team's game then then there's a perception of maybe a bias maybe because they're 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 working with those teams so i think it's a conversation that will that will continue i think there are opportunities for the officials to do more things especially in the off season but during the season they they put in full-time hours um at, at officiating yeah dean i'm trying to remember i think it was gene's territory used to coach uh, ref basketball yes. games as yeah. well, you know, 
Um, Ed Hockley, obviously, we still spends plenty of time in the gym. You know, those those forums <laughs> didn't get there on his own. Um, so the referees have obviously their own persona. We get to know as fans as well, and you get to see them week in, week out. And in that regard, if I think back to your career in in the NFL specifically, I'm going to give you an analogy to Alan Moore, the Iran investigation during President Reagan's time, and uh, juvenile satires, because there's an expression, key custodet ipsus custodes, who watches the watchman is what it stands for. And in your role, obviously, you were the watcher of the watchman, the watcher of the referees. Can you take us behind the scenes a little bit in terms of, well, how and what was that all about then in trying to get that consistency, drive the right behaviours, and, and what were your uh, principles, or, or indeed, when maybe you couldn't get a referee to uh, follow the principles the way you, you wanted it to be called? That, that was the greatest challenge that, that we had. It was, you, have, you have 17 different crews, you have 125 plus different officials, and trying to get them to see the game the same way. And every play is a little bit different. But the, the general philosophy, the foundation has to be the same. And that, like I said, that's the greatest challenge we had. So there's, a, there's an evaluation system. And, you know, I can't think of another profession that is evaluated to the extent that the officials are, and especially NFL officials, because, you know, they get evaluated on the spot because you have instant replay, there's challenges, there's replay reviews and things like that. So a decision could be overturned in the moment and then they're evaluated by coaches, fans, players, right? The, the, the court of public opinion. And then during the week, there's, there's so in the office, you have former on-field officials that are, that are coaches, evaluators that look at every game. They look at a crew that works that game. They evaluate every flag that is thrown. Should it have been thrown? They look at play, every play to see if a flag uh, maybe they didn't call holding and it should have been holding. They look at positioning, mechanics. You get feedback from the coaches on the communication, things like that. And that all goes into a game report that that crew receives. And so that feedback um, is so important. And, and they're, they're given grades and those grades accumulate throughout the season. And if you grade out well, you're eligible for a postseason assignment. If you don't grade out well, um, you're, you're staying home and you might not be returned to the staff the following year. And then you're, you're putting out teaching tapes. Um, there are voiceovers, there's individual position tapes. So uh, if the referees and umpires are involved more on the line of scrimmage withholding or roughing the passer, they'll get specific teaching tapes around those areas. Whereas the downfield officials, the side judges, the field judges, the back judge, um, they're involved more in pass interference and illegal contact. So they'll get, they'll get videos around those areas. So all of that is happening and, and it's done with the goal of driving behavior and consistent behavior because you want a game that's being played in San Francisco to be officiated the same way as a game that's being played in New York. And, and that's the goal. It's not always the case. But, uh, but all, of those, all of those things are put in place to ensure um, the greatest level of consistency. Final round of questions, Dean, before we let you go. Uh, the great thing about Fox, you're, you're very busy, obviously, college football as well there. And there is a bit of a gap between the offseason. The Fox this year are bringing in the USFL. And I'm hopefully going to watch that there. I'm not sure if you're going to be involved in that there, but I'm sure even if you're not, you're going to be kept busy with rules, et cetera, over the next few months. Yeah, and what's great is with the USFL and, and the XFL and spring leagues and things like that, we have 
more football, more opportunity for everyone, whether it's broadcasting uh, more games or getting officials more snaps or players more opportunities. So I'm really excited about what the USFL is going to do with Fox and then the XFL is going to come on board in the spring of 2023. And it's just, it's just more, it's just like great for us as football fans, American football fans to, uh, to, to have more opportunities to watch our favorite game. And so I'm, I'm really excited about the, the spring football. Dean, fans always have opinions on referees. You mentioned that earlier, and we all always have opinions about like certain players, they get calls or certain players always get called for certain things. I'm wondering, like, you know, um, as, as we have somebody who's been involved in officiating, do, like, do reputations play a role? If a linesman has a reputation for holding, is he more likely to get called? Um, does that factor in at all, maybe even subconsciously a little bit for referees? Yeah, I, I think if it does, it's more subconscious. And, and one of the things we, we look for is we try to we try to look in our in our hiring process when I was at the league and you vet out officials, you try to look for officials that can block out the 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 outside noise and and, and that are going to that are not going to show any bias. And, and when officials get to the higher levels, um, they, they tend to they tend to block that out and, and really just focus on what's happening, regardless of who it is. Now, you're always going to hear, right, Tom Brady gets the call, but a rookie quarterback isn't going to get that call. The official doesn't really look at it that way. They do scout the teams, but more so for tendencies. It's not to say that, uh, you know, the left tackle holds. It's more so what does this team like to do? Uh, in in short yardage situations, How, what 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 formations do they like to show? Is there anything unusual? What do they do in the in the kicking game and in the punt game? Do they do they double up the gunners on the outside, which 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 would lead to less holding? Um, things like that you're looking for. Now again, we're there, we're all human beings, and there is that subconscious. Does does an official go in? And, and, and have that not even under, knowing that they're doing it, you try to vet that out and make sure that if there is something that you see where an official is, is calling an overwhelming number of, of, of penalties against the visiting team or against a certain player, you try to correct that. And, uh, and so, but again, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a psychologist, but I'm sure there is some, some unconscious, um, things going on, but you try to, again, you try to identify it and, and, and vet it out when you can. And as every offseason, we see the, the officials and the league get together and try to figure out what, what rules can we tweet, you know, for um, going forward to the next season. We saw a couple of years ago, the, the pass interference challenge was quickly moved off after one year. The taunting rule this year has frustrated a lot of fans of a lot of teams. We saw the Monday night game where the Steelers and the Bears played in Heinz failed and what may look like a taunting uh, piece by the Bears player, in fact, really wasn't. It was called as a taunting. Do you think something like that would be reconsidered come the offseason? Or is there anything you've spotted this season that you feel the league might look again at? Yeah, they'll certainly look at that. Anytime they implement a point of emphasis, um, a new rule, the following year, the competition committee gets together and they look at, okay, they look at video examples. Did, did we officiate this consistently? Did we officiate it? Um, were, were we too liberal or were, were we too strict? All of those things will, will be discussed. I think what we've seen with taunting 
um, anytime you emphasize something, you're going to see a spike in calls and it tends to spike early. And I think what we've seen, and I don't, I, I watched all four games and maybe you, you would know um, if you saw one, but I don't know if we had a taunting penalty, at least through the wild card round. So, so you would hope that the players, everybody has adjusted, the officials have adjusted, uh, but all of that will absolutely be discussed. I think, you know, other things that'll be on the agenda, certainly instant replay. Um, are we going to expand um, instant replay to include other situations where a mistake is made and, and we really don't have the ability to fix it currently. Uh, I think the roughing the passer rule, I think those those fouls were up this year. And, uh, and I think there were some calls that were probably um, somewhat of a lower bar from where it's been in the past. And, and so I think that'll be something that the, the, the competition committee looks at. And then really player safety, they're going to look at all of the uh, the injuries, they categorize it by, you know, the head and neck injuries or the, the knee injuries, things like that. And they'll look for trends. Are we seeing injuries um, with a certain type of technique? Uh, one that stands out, and this goes back probably to the 90s, the horse collar tackle. That, that rule was born out of looking at lower leg injuries and seeing this technique lead to lower leg injuries um, over the course of several years. And, uh, and so the league put in that rule. So that, so that process will happen in the off season and we'll see new rules changes. We'll see new points of emphasis for the 2022 season. Uh, Dean, personally, I always love the, the little bits of adventures and officiating when we get to see the, the personality of the referees different from just being harangued by a head coach on the sidelines. I remember back in the day, Bill Vinovich, um, Patriots Ravens uh, playoff game and Julian Edelman, they were throwing different schemes. This was the four man line. Yes, this was the yeah. ineligible receiver. And Edelman turned to him and said, We're really giving you fits with these uh, with these different formations. And, and Vinovich is laughing away and almost uh, choking on at the same time. But I, I, I want to, so the personalities are very important, but I want to allude to something, two things you brought up. You mentioned John Madden and you mentioned very briefly there the hiring process of new referees. And I want to give you just a, a brief back, a backstory on this. Um, the catch two, San Francisco, famous catch uh, by Terrell Owens this time instead of Dwight Clark in the back of the end zone. On that drive, Jerry Rice clearly fumbled the ball, which yeah. was covered by the Packers, and it wasn't called. And John Madden's on the call saying, hey, this will all be different next year, and we have instant replay, and we deal with these, you know, these clear errors. Fast forward a number of years later, and as you say, like, it, hundreds of millions of people view and review referees' performances effectively in real time on social media straight after the following week with its league office and everything. How, compared to the mistake that was made then and people, oh, yeah, there was a mistake made, but the instant replay wasn't there. Now, how do you encourage people to say, hey, be a referee, guys. Go and join the NFL. It's great. It, it's, it's a great, it's a big challenge because like you said, and I've seen... Um, one of my mentors at the, when I was at the league office, his name is Joel Buster, great historian of the game. And he would show me plays from, from the sixties and seventies where these, if these mistakes happen today, it would be like the world is ending. Right. And social media would be on fire and it would just be, but it happened. The call was made and everybody moved on. Now, obviously that has changed with technology and, and the environment that we're in. And it's really hard to get, and you think about, and it's a great example, and, you know, you think about Dak Prescott's 
quote and, and, and comments after the game about the fans throwing stuff on the field. And when he's, he, he initially thought that they were, he was told that they were throwing stuff at the players, he admonished them. He said they shouldn't be doing that. And then when he heard they were actually throwing the, the, the objects at the referees, he condoned it and he said, good for them. And, and what that does, it continues this, create this negative environment around officials and it trickles down to youth sports and, and, and things. And I know, I'm sure you have the same issues in Ireland and in, in the UK with young officials or lower level officials being abused, whether it's verbal abuse or physically assaulted. And we have a real hard time getting people in, interested in being officials. And, uh, and there are games that have been canceled and youth, youth sports leagues that can't find officials. And it's a real, real problem. And I think we have at the highest level an obligation to, to, to present um, a, a, an environment of mutual respect and admiration for officials because um, we, you know, we're always going to have officials at the highest levels, but at the lower levels, we're, we're just not seeing that. And I think it's a result of the negative environment. Dean, it's a very busy time of the year, and we really appreciate your time this week on the Irish NFL show. Hopefully we can repay the favor in a few weeks in Los Angeles. Who knows what's going to happen at 49ers Packers on Fox at 1.15 a.m. on Sunday morning. Something tells me a lot of people in Ireland will stay up to watch that. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, Dean. Thanks for having me. And I don't, I don't envy you watching games at 1.15 a.m. <laughs>